This podcast is produced by Visionary Studios. Hey everyone, I'm Mitchell Rail. And I'm Sagar Jawani. And welcome back to Let's Unpack That. Today we are joined by Levi Rienga. Levi, welcome to the pod. Also love our matching sweaters. Look at us go <laughs> yeah. with the Patagonia. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm happy. Uh, thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. So Levi, for those who may not know who you are, do you want to give everyone a little bit of a background on who you are, where you're from? Really give us the overview. Who is Levi? So I'm Levi Rienga. I grew up in the Bay Area, Concord Walnut Creek area. Area, if you're familiar with it. Love that. Love that. So you recently just moved out of San Francisco, right? I did. Yeah, actually, I, I moved up to Sacramento area. So able to kind of expand and give my dog a life that I really want him to have up here. So yes, you got to put the dog first. That's, that's right. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about whatever you feel comfortable telling us about your career. Um, you know, you have some interesting uh, TikTok fame that you came into. Tell the audience who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So started making TikToks last year, 2021. And I, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I like to laugh at myself and, and a lot of the things that I do. And, and I made a video, it was referencing the the time that I got HIV and, and that video took off, right? It got, you know, several, I think million views on that. And that was my first like registration that, that this might be a topic that is kind of received from uh, TikTok and not talked about enough. So I started making TikToks based on like trauma and HIV and HIV adv- like awareness advocacy. And, and it uh, seems like it kind of stuck and it's kind of become my brand at this point. I have people approaching me when I was in San Francisco, people would approach me call me the HIV guy, N- not in a disrespectful way, right? They call me the I HIV guy be, from TikTok. Uh, I don't know if that's good, yeah. a good way to put it regardless uh, of intention. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mind it because I, okay. I knew what they were referring to. Right? Yeah, like yeah, I knew yeah. that they didn't, they weren't saying it in a deprecating way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of like stuck uh, in my brain and been kind of running with that uh, since last year. Really cool to see you using your platform to really raise awareness and break down a lot of the stigmas that surround, um, you know, HIV positivity. Give us a little background. Obviously, that was like your your big breakout moment on TikTok. But again, yeah, you are HIV positive. Do you want to kind of give us all kind of the story, the story time of what your experience was like getting HIV and what that was like for you? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yeah, so um, so around that, that first TikTok was referencing when I found out I was positive. I was actually uh, at a bathhouse in Berkeley, and they were doing HIV tests and STD screenings. In return, you would get a $10 coupon, right, for, for the following Monday. I don't know what I was doing on Monday, but... Who knows? Maybe I could use a coupon. <laughs> and, uh, and so I took the test, not thinking much of it. And it, and the nurse came out, gave me the coupon and said that I was HIV positive. And I returned to the bathhouse space, not knowing what to do. I, I was shocked. I really didn't know what to do. And I, you know, I was 19 years old. I was just a boy uh, trying to figure out like how to show up as a gay man. And, and it, it didn't really hit me um, like I like I thought it would. So uh, that's the story that I was referencing in that first TikTok, and I got tons of you know questions about it. And essentially, how I came into that was actually not at a bathhouse, right? Like it wasn't because I was super sexually active with a lot of people. I had just gotten out of a relationship with somebody who I was with for two and a half years, and I thought that I could trust what he said. 
when he said that he has HIV and there's no way that he could spread it to me. I, I didn't understand the gravity of, of that. I didn't really understand the precautions that he was required, like how he was being responsible. And I also didn't know my part. And this, mind you, is in 2012, went, a year before PrEP went public, really. I was in a monogamous relationship, I thought. On my end, it was. And I found out I... I seroconverted uh, while I was in that relationship. And it can kind of point to to a time earlier in that year when I got really sick. I didn't really know what it was. And uh, it, was, it was intense. So let's hold on. Let's do one quick uh, question, you know, for people who may not know, what is seroconversion? Yeah, seroconversion is essentially uh, your body's adjustment to, to uh, a new virus that is living in your body uh, in, a, in a very simple, you know, uh, explanation of it. When you get a cold, you, uh, your body goes through a seroconversion process and you, uh, adjust to that and you build, um, immunity to that specific virus. Unfortunately, our bodies are incredible machines, but they are not able to build up an immunity to HIV. Uh, and that seroconversion process can be very confusing for your body and for people in it, you know, not really understanding why you're sick, yet you are. Just thinking it kind of might be a flu or a cold. There are other symptoms, right? Um, sometimes there's uh, lesions or marks on your skin. Um, I didn't experience any of that. It was simply more of a flu for me. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So you talked about how there were kind of the precautions that your partner who you trusted at that time uh, could have taken. I think this would be a really great you know, point to kind of share with the audience. Like, what does that look like nowadays? Like, what does your day-to-day -day look like in terms of, you know, keeping yourself safe, keeping others safe. I want to make sure that people understand kind of how different it might be now that it's been, you know, like a decade uh, since that, that encounter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we can even take it a step farther and talk about what it was like in the 80s and the 90s, right? Yeah. Taking four different cocktails. I don't know the exact prescriptions, but taking several cocktails of, of pills and medications per day just to just to hopefully, you know, uh, suppress your, you know, your, your symptoms and, and viral load. It was very intense and it was very intense on your body and we've come a long way. So in the, in the 2000s, um, it became two pills that you were taking. And that is all my partner at the time was being asked to follow along with was two pills per day. Mind you, they were kind of large pills. <laughs> But, um, you know, that's 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 essentially what it would take in those in those uh, years to gain an undetectable status. About what does that look like now? Now it looks like a pill uh, smaller than a vitamin. It's a lot less abrasive to your kidneys. It's a lot less abrasive to your liver. Met pretty well with uh, with our internal system. So just one pill a day in the morning and super simple. I take it with prebiotics. So is is just another part of my morning at this at this time. After you got that positive test result and you kind of were processing that mentally, kind of going forward into your life and talking to other people, going entering new relationships. How would you say that that changed your dating experience? I think it's important for me to to mention my reaction wasn't really emotional. I finally had a a reason to point at, right? Something tangible to point at to say, "Oh, that's right. That's why, you know, I'm a piece of shit," right? I'm 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 gay. I uh, I have this, you know, disease at this time. And like, I finally had something that was a man, you know, what I felt was a manifestation of how ugly I was told to feel inside. And, uh, you know, it's not like that today, but it, it's, 
I feel like it's one of the most um, discrediting things to do to nullify somebody's experience when they when they get HIV. And by somebody telling me, hey, it's not that big of a deal. It was a big deal to me. You know, it's not that big of a deal anymore. Like, I wish that less people said that to me when I first got it, because um, that that told me to not meet it with the appropriate feelings, with the appropriate uh, emotions. And in all honesty, starting to like I started to suppress it because I was just being told it's not that big of a deal anymore when it was absolutely a factor that changed my life. And just being honest with you, when I when I was at um, that bathhouse that night, I was under the influence of uh, GHB and, you know, I'd been uh, using some drugs and I wasn't exactly 100% present for that news. And, and, and I finally, like I said, had this manifestation of how ugly I felt as, you know, just a gay man. I had just gotten out of this relationship that I thought was... Uh, was going to last a long time. And, and so I continued that use, you know, it, it, addiction kind of runs in my family and that's, that gave me the, the thumbs up, right. To pursue this lifestyle because I felt like such a piece of shit. And so for, I'll be honest with you for years, sometimes it's years, sometimes it's months, sometimes people, with healthy coping mechanisms can process things like that right away. But for me, it took a long time. And, and it was because that uh, emotional reaction was stunted by the drugs and alcohol that I was abusing. So uh, moving forward, I, uh, I was, um, I did take those opportunities to move up to British Columbia and uh, so I spent some time in British Columbia and in a small town called Bellingham, Washington, just on, uh, outside of the border. And while I was up there, I was actually uh, I actually entered into a relationship right with two men. And they were um, so I, it was kind of a thruple at that point. But uh, they were older and they they were also HIV positive And they were like, hey, come up here. We'll show you how to live. And. And I took that as kind of like reprieve, you know, it's finally like I, I didn't exactly grow up with the most um, ideal role models in my life. And and finally, these men that understood exactly what I had been going through uh, offered a place of serenity for me to, to go. And uh, they taught me everything that I know. They taught me how to work out. They taught me how to shop in a grocery store, you know, by going around the outside and avoiding everything in the center. It really changed my perspective on uh, relationships. And on that same coin, I think it's also really important to mention that they were older, they were in their 40s. And I was, you know, just 19 or, or maybe 20 at this time. And it became from what I understood, I was no longer able to connect with people my age with my with, you know, anybody around my age or my peers, because every time that I tried and I told them my truth that I was HIV positive, it was shut down and I was blocked or, you know, immediately wouldn't talk to me anymore. And, uh, and that treatment has gotten a lot better over the years, but, um, it really hurt, really hurt my feelings. And it like taught me how to, or what to expect from the gay community. That's really Hard, hard to hear and I'm sorry that you had to mm -hmm. go through that um, I think even like now in the gay community I think that could be kind of echoed to I think the gay community acts like they're accepting but I think at a lot of times at its core it's not nearly as accepting as it should be yeah, or, as, like or a, how it's like a 
a facade almost. People it's try. a lot more quiet. It's right. quiet. It's like, it's like, uh, it's, I'm not going to say it's the same as racism, of course, but with a lot of these kinds of topics, it's like, well, we're not going to do any of that loudly anymore, but we're still going to, you know, we're going to have our preferences and we're mm-hmm. going to, like, I feel like it's a similar mentality where it's like, it's quiet and it's, uh, kind of like an underlined veil almost, but I'd be curious to hear, like, what are the ways in which you've seen your relationships or just interactions with the gay community in general improve? Like, how do you think they've gotten better? Yeah, I think that I, it had to begin with me being okay with who I was with a positive status. Um, luckily, almost immediately after finding out, I was able to get on medication and, and, and get my numbers to an undetectable level. And that's only achievable with, with this medication from today. You just mentioned like achieving that undetectable status when it came to getting your numbers to a certain certain level. For those who maybe aren't familiar, maybe they just hear the term undetectable and that means that you can't spread it. Can you kind of want to explain to people what undetectable means and how you've reached that? Yeah, absolutely. I also want to start off by saying I'm not a doctor by yeah. any means. I'm yeah. not a medical yeah. professional. So uh, for you know, for me, it's getting your getting your viral load down to an undetectable level. Um, essentially means that you are unable to transmit it. Let's go back to the gay community and kind of how it's kind of changed since your time. And you were mentioning that you kind of were feeling like you were more acclimated or more used to only interacting with those older people, those older uh, generation of the gay community, not as as feeling like you were as accepted with those in the younger generation. Have you felt like in the past few years that the younger individuals have been more accept- more accepting and have you entered into any relationships or anything with people that were younger? I, I would say that the last relationship that I that I was in was I was dating somebody who was negative and they were adherent to a regimen of taking their prep on a daily basis. Sure, it's gotten better. Like we were just talking about the quiet bias that tags along with the HIV status. It's really hard to gauge. I'll be honest with you because because of that, you know, like so many people will say, yeah, absolutely not a problem. You know, I know people that were HIV positive or, you know, my my last partner was HIV positive and uh it's not a big deal, right? And that, and today, obviously I don't want to discredit anybody's experience, but um it is a it's not a death sentence anymore. In my opinion, what you're asking your partner to do is to adhere to a regimen on a daily basis. And that can be a big, tall order. It might not sound like it, but you're asking somebody to adjust their life right off the bat uh, when you're dating, if they're not already on a, a daily regimen. So I've been single for a few years now, and I've taken that time to really get to know myself and how I and the value that I can bring to a relationship. And I haven't been too focused on finding a partner, but even in you know hookup culture, um, in the past few years in San Francisco, I've experienced um, a, a bias or hangups around it. So, uh, and is generally with a younger generation. That's just, let's just be honest. I think my taste is also shifting a little bit, right? It's kind of coming down from from the older men to the more my age, and I'm you know coming up on uh, thirty here pretty soon, and uh, and that's helped a, a little bit as far as uh, me being comfortable reaching out to people that are around my age. But either folks are not taking it seriously, or they are um, absolutely hard no on on the fact that I'm positive, and that's okay because I'm okay with who I am, and I'm okay with the mission that I've 
you know, found for myself. I think it's interesting, like to, you know, going from the eighties, which is kind of, I think why a lot of people our age and you're not really not far from our age at all, <laughs> but people that are, you know, let's say under 25 specifically, I think are so in the gay community are so removed, even though we have a lot of struggles that we face on a day to day, like we, people are still trying to take our rights away. Right. So it's yeah. not that we don't understand oppression, but I think the fact that we are so young and have grown up relatively privileged to maybe a lot of those older folks who you were kind of talking about, people who had to live through the 80s or the 90s, if we, you know, I hope everyone kind of knows what we're talking about when I say yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I think that that's kind of one of the biggest reasons is like, if you're not, if you don't have to deal with something kind of firsthand, it's a lot easier to kind of yeah. shrug it off or, yeah. or not think about the mental toll that yeah. somebody has to take on to either live with HIV, for example, because as you mentioned, like, it's kind of like a, it's like a daily, you can, you can never be off your guard, right? Like you've always got to be thinking about it. You've got to like know what you're doing is right. And then there's always this kind of, I think, would you say there's like a, I'm kind of curious, would you say there's like a, any kind of paranoia like that you still have? Or do you think that that's kind of like smoothed out over the years as you've gotten more comfortable with your regimen? Yeah, it's definitely smoothed out. You know, you mentioned thinking about it all the time, right? Like, and I used to think about it all the time, especially when it was a new part of my life or a new part of my truth. And luckily it's, it's just become an aspect of me today. You know, it's, it's, it's part of my truth and I am absolutely vocal about it. If somebody wants to talk about it, I'm more than happy to. I think paranoia is the wrong the wrong word to use. Uh, I am hyper aware today, right? I am, I am hyper aware. And I, because of that, like, um, that status, I go to the doctors three, uh, once every three months, I get blood work done regularly. I get my organs checked up like on a, on a regular basis, maybe several times a year. I don't know if the same could be said for folks who, who aren't right. And maybe that's a great thing. I, I think recently, you know, I had some some problems with my kidneys and the conversation had to come up around some medical procedures uh, or treatment that would make my experience really uncomfortable. And luckily, because of the fact that I go to the doctors so often and regularly, we were able to catch it early enough to do something about it and take a different uh, and go a different direction. So it can be seen as a, as, as a curse or you can see it as a blessing, right? Yeah. I, I also think you did mention the 80s and the 90s. And for folks who don't know, right, there was this huge AIDS epidemic and H, you know, AIDS crisis um, that our community suffered through. And, and hundreds of thousands of people died, you know, um, and generations were lost. And what I mean by that is imagine... We're in, we're in our 20s right now. Imagine everybody that you know in their 30s and imagine everybody that you know in their 40s and imagine them gone, right? We don't have any people to look up to. We don't have any, uh, any gay role models. You know, we're, we're separated from our families at these times and, and we're looking for someone to teach us how to show up in the world as gay men. And, and I think it's really important to, to note that because folks that are in their 40s and folks that are in their 50s had to experience that they had to experience learning how to show up again in the world on their own after losing two generations of you know of mentors or teachers or friends and loved ones and partners um and it it almost brings tears to my eyes whenever i think about it right and what what previous generations had to go through but the fact that i feel so safe with those generations that that did experience those things like i'm forever grateful and I, and I absolutely cannot not think of that when I think of them. So, 
and the people that taught me how to show up as a gay man. That's so important. I think a lot of times, I kind of go off what Sagar was saying a few minutes ago, is I think a lot of people in our generation of the gay community, they are hyper-focused on their life and their issues and anything that doesn't directly impact them, mm-hmm. they don't even think about it. They don't, most, most times they don't take the like time to think about what other people's experiences could be like, yeah. or like all of the work that had to be done by those older generations to get the gay community to where it is now and to have yeah. the freedoms and flexibilities and opportunities and, yeah. ex- and, and acceptance that it, that it has now, I feel like. No, it's, I it's oftentimes taken for granted. I think yeah. it also has to do with the fact, so I used to work for a prep company, well, shout out Freddie Canada, um, but um, which is why I, I think um, was so excited to have you on, Levi, because the literal goal of that was to, you know, is to help people establish a regimen and be able to kind of avoid this, this d- disease, which you said it's not a death sentence anymore, but it's definitely still something you have to deal with, right? And it can still be dangerous if not taken care of. And so that was really the goal of what we were doing and why I joined, because it was so important. Yet on kind of like a flip side, I think what it's done for people like myself and a lot of us who, who, are, who, who became adults or teenagers or whatever you want to call it in like the last decade, within the last decade, mm-hmm. is that PrEP and, and, and um, these medications that allow us to essentially make it a lot easier to avoid like HIV um, have become so much more accessible and are so easy to get in certain, depending, you know, where you live in the U.S. or, or internationally. But it's so easy to get the like access to PrEP now for most people that you don't think about like, well, you're almost like you can remove yourself even further from that that issue, that like living that struggle. Because as you said, when you um, acquired it in 2012, like they didn't even that wasn't even a, a, a common thing. It wasn't yeah. like everyone was on prep. Yeah. Which now yeah. you're on Grinder, probably more than ha- like a majority of the people I see on Grinder are on like are on prep regularly, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like I think that is like another almost like a like a factor that allows people our age to be so kind of removed from from this issue is like, well we're just pop a pill and, and it's it's gone. It's like it's not something we're thinking about. And so yeah. you can therefore not you don't you don't have that empathy. Like it's truly been kind of mm-hmm. and I'm not complaining. It's it's it, it is great, right? Like to have that that medication. But I just think that with what you know, the the work that I did, like I kind of feel like it's just such a an, an important distinction yeah. um, generationally, which is I wanted to bring that up because you were talking about how it is so different and how we can feel comfortable with those who yeah. have gone through those those issues yeah. earlier. I think also, Levi, I think you had mentioned, you know, when you first had gotten the diagnosis, you really went through this period of just self hatred and like really like like feeling so less than and um, looking down on yourself and really falling into addiction and drug abuse. Um, would you, beyond, you know, that, that couple who stepped into your life, how did you kind of work to overcome that feeling and that addiction to kind of get into this place now where you embrace your diagnosis, you're advocating for others and you're really just doing what, you know, embrace fully embracing it. What was kind of that journey to get from there to where you are now? Yeah. Uh, therapy. Thanks for asking the question is therapy and self work and, you know, I, I could read all the self-help, you know, books that I that I can, but without sharing with another human being, a professional, at, at, you know, uh, for that matter, I know for a fact I would not be where I am today. And the fact that my diagnosis brought those feelings up just tells me that it's it was just a symptom, right? That that self-hatred was just a symptom of something much deeper, that status 
was just a, a means to get me to hate myself. What I needed to work on came much, much before that. You know, there might be people out there that got a diagnosis and, like I said, had healthy coping mechanisms and were able to kind of move through that process a lot smoother than I did. Um, that wasn't exactly my experience. And it took me, like I said, a few years to, um, get the help that I needed. I cannot advocate for therapy enough. I think that we discussed a, a little bit about, you know, my, my history and, uh, the trauma that I experienced as a kid, but, uh, whether, you know, it's sexual abuse or whether it's a divorce, nobody's, nobody's, uh, trauma is greater than each, you know, each other's cause it all equals, uh, misery, at a certain level, right? Like I, I'm right here and you know, you're right there with your trauma. And if we're, if we're not actively like working on those things, like for myself, I, I find it hard to move forward in my life. So I did a lot of trauma-based therapy called EMDR for probably four years um, with a therapist from CIS, uh, Center of Integral Studies in San Francisco. Uh, changed my life completely. I was able to see myself differently and uh, and love myself regardless um, of that. I just want to go back to to the point that was uh, mentioned about you know taking a pill every day, um, if if that's okay. I, I think that it's one thing to choose to take that pill every day uh, of your own free will, and it's another thing having to take a pill every day um, to to guard yourself. And I think that uh, with that generational gap in experience, I think that a lot of the weight has been taken away from the HIV status, which, you know, is it's, it's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Right. Like I know that younger folks in their early 20s, I know for myself, I wasn't really worried about it. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't, like I said, taking the precautions that I that I should have been because I was expecting somebody else to take the precautions. And if. If that's the extent of how you're protecting yourself, I think that I think that you might want to check that. Talking to somebody on Grinder and them telling you that they're taking medications—that's not generally good enough for me to feel comfortable having unprotected sex with them uh, at this point in my life. Like, if they can show me that they've been taking Truvada, if they can show me a prescription uh, for their prep and their adherence to it. It's not a full bottle that's like, you know, in a drawer somewhere and they never touch it. That takes that paranoia that you referenced earlier down several notches for me, right? Like while I know that undetectable equals untransmittable, I still expect other people to keep themselves safe. So you, you just kind of touched on there that, you know, the people that are taking PrEP, that's a choice. But for you, you have to take this every day. Like it's needed for, for your health and for your well-being. Do you want to kind of give people listening insights on what would happen if you didn't take your pill every day. Yeah, not taking my pill every day if I if I decide to that it's just not that big of a deal and I can take it twice a week or three times a week. Um, I've known people that have developed uh, resistance to almost every single drug out there that suppresses HIV. And because of that, now he has, to, you know, he's at a, the person that I'm thinking about is um, going through infusions regularly just to keep his, his undetectable status away from, from AIDS. And that's scary, right? Because there's not a ton of drugs out there. There's a ton of brand names out there that, that you can take to get an undetectable status, but they're all of the same family. Essentially, they're all in the same you know, area of 
medications from what I understand. Like I said, I'm not a medical professional, but my biggest fear here is developing that immunity and or the resistance and, you know, suffering the same fate that is not required. That suffering and that everything that our, that our previous generations went through, they went through that so that we didn't have to. And I'd be doing a disel- like a disservice to myself, to my community and like to, to, you know, people that I advise, um, if I were to not take it as seriously as it deserves. So I take a pill every day because I have to, um, because I want to, right? Because I love my life and the life that I've built today. And yeah, asking somebody else to do that, that has to come from within them. Like if if they're not ready to uh, adhere to a regimen like that, then they're not ready to consider a relationship with somebody that's HIV positive because that's part of it. That's part of the experience. You know, that's part of my experience and, um, and I'm okay with that. I think that's really important for people to, people to hear and people to understand. When, we, when you look at, at your platform and the presence that you've grown online and that following, what do you hope to achieve with that platform? I have achieved way more than I could even imagine that I have. There are a few organizations in San Francisco and Los Angeles, the LGBT Center of Los Angeles and the San Francisco AIDS Foundation that with my platform, like I've actually been able to raise nearly $20,000. That's awesome. Uh, to support them with. Thank you. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take a round of applause. That's amazing. Uh, no, I think that's amazing. I, I took uh, part in this event I'd been meaning to for years. It's called the AIDS Life Cycle. And um, that's where a lot of these donations came in as, right? And I was able to broadcast to my audience and use my platform to do that. And I think directly I, I raised something like $17,000 from, from in, in about a month and a half using TikTok, using Instagram. And then I rode a bike for 545 miles uh, from San Francisco to Los Angeles because seven days of hell is way better than the months and the years our previous generations um, experienced. So that's how I was thinking about it, right? Like when I was riding that bike and my legs were giving out and like the vibrations were killing my arms, like killing my arms. I thought about stopping a lot of times and, and I just kind of equated that over to like to not being able to stop my medications, right? Even, even if I don't want to, even if, even if, um, because I get the opportunity to not stop today. I don't know if that makes any sense, but no, yeah, um, that makes sense. It was just a really powerful experience. Uh, don't ask me to do it again. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> but, I want to do it, Levi. Honestly, like I heard yeah, about it, it previously. Can you explain a little bit more about the event? Just like really quick, high level for people who, who are like, where does it take place? How long is it? And yeah, just what do people need to know? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's a few different ways to show up, right? You can show up as a volunteer um, or you can show up as a participant. I actually want to say that registration opens up late December. So by the time that you're hearing this in a, in a few weeks, get ready for that. And essentially what it is, is a one week trip from San Francisco to Los Angeles on a bicycle. It, it was a really powerful experience being, I think this year... In 2022, there was something like 3,000 participants. And just like being in that community and being in that um, large of a supportive and loving group, it was a really powerful experience. Um, I highly recommend it to you. I'm really happy to hear that that you're considering uh, trying out. Do some training rides because I did, <laughs> I did one training ride. <laughs> 
Um, One. And I thought that I would be okay to ride 545 miles. And that <laughs> That's was, incredible. Um, I did it. I rode every mile, but I was also dying, and I felt like throwing my bike in the ocean after that. So, um, yeah, give yourself some some uh, practice time, uh, but you'll do great, and it's for a really good cause. So, really, Levi, just to kind of wrap up here, when you're looking back at the last decade and where you've come from since then, what type of advice or words of wisdom would you tell somebody who? maybe just got diagnosed or they know someone who got diagnosed? What is kind of advice that you would tell them? I, I think it's more about the questions that I would ask them. The last thing that I needed was was comforting. I think that what I needed was the ability to uh, check how I feel, right? Like if, if, if somebody comes up to me today, I don't say I'm so sorry to hear that, right? I don't, I don't, I don't go in that route. But I, what I would do is I would ask, how do you feel? That's the first question. And I've had hundreds and hundreds of people reach out to me and share with me that they just converted and they don't know how to uh, how to talk about it with anybody in their lives. And and I think that the first step into like understanding how to show up is to understand how you feel. And so my if my advice from the last 10 years of living with HIV and, um, you know, going through this advocacy journey uh, would be to check in with your friends, check in with how they're feeling and really listen. I know for a lot of folks, it can be a good time to numb, right? And a lot of people don't feel anything when they first find out. And, uh, and that's okay. How I can be a good friend today uh, for those people is to stay close and, and keep, you know, keep an ear open, keep a shoulder open for them um, when those feelings do come, because they will, and they might manifest in some interesting ways, but yeah, just be, just be aware of what you're asking. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. We really appreciate it. Do you want to give everyone your social media so they can follow you? Oh yeah. You can, you can find me at, uh, at I found Levi on TikTok and Instagram. Go ahead and shoot me a message and I will do my best to respond. Um, always love reading the messages that I do get and the stories that I get to hear. So well, thanks so much, Levi. Again, thank you so much for your time and, and sharing your story with us. Uh, you can can follow us on Instagram at UnpackedHT and on TikTok at UnpackThatPod. Thank you both for being here and we'll see you guys next Thursday. Bye everyone.